Thanks for tuning in to the Hope Church Podcast. We hope that you're blessed and encouraged to walk out the gospel as you hear this message from Pastor Josh Thompson. Good morning, everybody. Y'all look so good today. We were praying with somebody in the front, and I I just kind of scanned the crowd. And I've got to tell you, when you are worshiping, you are beautiful people. When you're not, you're not. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Man, I'm so glad to be here to share with you this morning. How many have loved Pastor Gary sharing the last couple of weeks? It's been so good. So good. Man, I just, uh, so so awesome. I, I tell you, I have met so many new people in the last week or two here that have been coming to Hope. It seems like everybody I meet, I don't know. And uh, I say, how long, have you, how long have you been coming to Hope? Sometimes they say 10 years. <laughs> but that hasn't happened recently, luckily. Uh, uh, but, but two months, two months. Oh, we've been coming to Hope for a few weeks. And uh, God is doing something amazing and drawing people to this place because I believe God has a big thing in mind for this house. Um, we've had just so many new faces. In fact, if you're, if you're new to Hope... Maybe uh, you've just been here a, a month or two, or maybe, maybe you've been here a year or two, and you've never really gotten plugged in and connected. I want to encourage you. We do this thing called Hope Intro. Can you say Hope Intro with me? Hope Intro. And it is really the on-ramp to hope. Uh, I think today we have about 30 people that just uh, are in Hope Intro this month, and uh, new people. And it's the way that you can find out the mission and the vision and the heart of hope. And not only that, you can actually do some fun stuff in there where you find out some of the gifts and some of the the things that you're carrying and discover um, what God has called you to do. And then you actually get an opportunity to see where you can bring your gifts where you can bring what you're carrying and release that. I got to tell you, if you haven't done Hope Intro, I want to encourage you. The next session starts next Sunday morning at 1030. It's a four-week thing. It's just an hour long, 1030 to 1130. So uh, you can sign up for that online at hopechurch.net, or you can actually go to the guest service desk and find out anything you need to know about that. All right? Um, man, what a couple of months we've had. I, I tell you, we've been, uh, just Wednesdays, I've been telling everybody, I feel like Wednesdays are the best night of the week. And if you've been here this, this month, you know what I'm talking about. June, we spent the month praying. It was, it was amazing. We had powerful times of prayer and, and just calling out in the name of the Lord for our city. And we were calling out in the name of the Lord for those who didn't know Jesus, for prodigal sons and daughters. And we were calling out in the name of the Lord that he would release the miraculous through us. And I got to tell you, church, I believe that the Lord has heard the prayers of his church because we've been seeing all of the above happen. And it's just been amazing. So many people that have been far off from God have come onto this property. They are in the house, people. They're here. What we've been praying for is happening. And it's just incredible. And I believe it's just the beginning of the beginning. Um, I'm so thankful that following Jesus isn't about just surviving life. Somehow just, just going through religious routine and getting through and somehow making it to heaven someday. But that following Jesus is an adventure, right? And it's, it's not stuffy and it's not boring because Jesus is anything but stuffy and boring. He's actually quite exciting and scary. And he's given us a mission. And uh, he's given us everything that we need to accomplish it. Amen? 
Well, where we left off the last time that I spoke a few weeks ago, we saw in the book of Acts that the church was adding to their numbers daily those who were coming to faith in Jesus and that the resurrection power of Jesus was flowing through the church in powerful ways and signs and wonders and miracles were drawn large crowds. And because of those moments of the miraculous, people's attention uh, was, their attention came to Jesus and the gospel was preached. And many came to repentance, and many came to follow him, and it was so powerful. The last time I I shared, we read this life-changing, powerful mission statement that Jesus gave to his disciples in John 20, 21, and I just want to read it out again to us today. It was that good. And Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, this is after his death and his, his resurrection, or before his resurrection, sorry, Um, No, it was after his resurrection. It was before his ascension. Yes, I get this straight here. We got I got it. I got it. Don't worry. Don't be afraid. I don't know everything, but I do know this. John 20, 21. He said, as the father sent me, even so I'm sending you. And then it said he breathed on him and they received the Holy Spirit. So when we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, We're filled with the power we need to fulfill the mission, to fulfill our God-given assignment and our God-given destiny. I want to tell you today, there's power available for everything that Jesus calls us to. There's power available for everything that he calls me to do and he calls me to be. Jesus said, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses And I want to say it a thousand times. I might preach this and say this every time I preach for the next year. It is not a one-time feeling. It is a continual feeling. This this feeling is not just, hey, I have one encounter. It's, hey, I have many encounters. It's every time I come into his presence, I say, God, I want more. Fill me up fresh because I know there's more and I need more to do what you've called me to do. The truth is, You can't do what Jesus did without the power of the Holy Spirit. We'll not accomplish the mission. We will not accomplish what he's called us to in any other way than through the power of the Holy Spirit. We'll never be clever enough. We'll never be smart enough. And our best ideas will not be good enough. We must have the power of the Spirit in full operation in our lives and as in the entire church. Because if we don't, we will not be able to accomplish what he's called us to. And I want to tell you, the dream is big. The dream is big for your life. And the dream is big for our city. And the the dream is big for our church. Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 through 5. He said, I didn't come to you with lofty speech or wisdom. He said, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and a power. So that faith might not rest on the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And it's the same for us today, church. I want to suggest that to you. It's going to be the power of the Holy Spirit upon your life that brings the witness of Jesus Christ to those around you. It's going to be the power of the Holy Spirit upon the church that brings the witness of Jesus Christ to the world. I want us to be creative. How many think that's good? 
I want us to be clever. I think we should be clever. We should be smart. We should have intelligent strategies. But my core belief is that we will not be able to rest on those things, but what we will have to rest on and depend on is a demonstration of the power of the Spirit of God in and through us as a church. Amen? Jesus said, this is just the pre-sermon, guys. Jesus said this, John 10, 10. He said, he said, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. He said, but I came to give to, to give life and have it abundantly. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So you can know this, wherever there's destruction, wherever there's death, wherever there's darkness, wherever there's shame and fear and injustice, that's the work of darkness. But wherever the works of, of, of life are happening, that's where Jesus is. Wherever Jesus is, there's abundance. Wherever he is, there is life. That's why he came First John actually says it. He said, it says, this is why Jesus came. He came to destroy the works of darkness. And that he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. And guess what? As the Father sent Jesus, he sends us. As the Father sent Jesus, he sends us to walk in the power of the Spirit, to do what Jesus did. How many say yes to that today? I want us just to pray this morning before I actually get into what God's given me for today. I feel like I needed a little recap. Is that all right? So uh, if you're hungry for more, would you just lift your hands up right now? We're just going to pray. Father, I pray that there would be a fresh Holy Spirit filling today, even as we get into your word, even as we're sitting here in this place, even now, I pray for fresh anointing. I pray for ears to hear. I pray that you would anoint my words and God, that this would go way beyond just intellect and knowledge, but it would go straight to your heart and into encounter. And I pray it for everyone in this place in Jesus name. And everybody said, Amen. We're going to spend our time this morning in John chapter nine, and we're going to, we're going to just jump right into this remarkable story of Jesus and a blind man. It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful story. And how many like stories? I love stories. Stories are so fun. And, uh, it's, it's wild when you read the Bible and you read the stories of Jesus, how you may have read one story your whole life and all of a sudden you could be reading it and God speaks something fresh to you about that story. And I feel like that's been happening to me this week as I've been in this, just meditating and praying through John chapter nine. So we're going to jump right in verse one. Typically I, I preach out of the ESV version, but today I want to, I want us to read this story out of the message version. So it might help if you don't actually read your Bibles, if you don't have the message and look on the screen, go home this afternoon and read it in your, your normal translation. So I don't want it to distract you and take you out of the story. Okay. But do whatever you want. I know you will anyway. Here we go. John chapter 9, verse 1. We jump into this story. It says, walking down the street, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents causing him to be born blind? And Jesus said, you're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame. 
There's no such cause effect here. Look instead for what God can do. Can we say that line together? Look instead for what God can do. He continues, he says, we need to be energetically at work for the one who sent me here, working while the sun shines. When night falls, the workday's over. For as long as I'm in the world, there's plenty of light, because I am the world's light. Pretty powerful, isn't it? So the disciples, as we know, are, are from a Jewish culture. That's what they grew up in. That's what they were raised in. And it's obvious in their question, they actually would have come from the belief that there is some sort of a connection between blindness or any present disability and sin. That there must be some secret sin that went on. Something must have happened back in the day that caused this man to be blind. And it was either him or it was his parents that must have sinned. And Jesus, like he always does, doesn't Jesus just love to set us straight? Jesus answers their question with a firm response. And he says, neither. He says, wrong question. He says, in other words, you're barking up the wrong tree, boys. I feel like that was connected with me because I live in the country now. Uh, All through the Gospels, as you read them, questions are asked, right? It's like people are always asking Jesus questions, and and, and many times Jesus doesn't even acknowledge the question, and he shifts the the story and the interaction, and he'll ask a different question. And I was just thinking about this as I was praying through this, I, I was thinking how sometimes, and maybe, maybe a lot of times actually, like the disciples, that we can be asking the wrong questions too. Yes, sir. And in our desire to understand something, in our desire to make sense of something, how often have we ever wanted to blame someone? How often have we wanted to blame something for for what's gone wrong? And how often have we grappled with why did this happen? Some difficulty. Why why is this hardship happening? What's going on? Maybe maybe it's a sickness or a diagnosis or, or just something that's not good that's going on. And we ask that question. Why did this happen? Why did that happen? And maybe maybe we come to a place where we start blaming ourselves. Or maybe we come to a place where we start blaming someone else. Or we come to a place where we start actually blaming God. And in this passage, we see Jesus, he's saying, wrong question. And I feel like in many situations, he says that to us. He says, hey, actually, that's the wrong question. That's the wrong focus. you got to change the question. And instead of that question, try this. Look for what God can do. Look for what God can do. I believe this. I felt this as I prayed that there would be people in this room today that have been stuck or arrested in your development simply because you've been asking the wrong question. Instead of rehashing a trauma or what went wrong or, or, or you don't understand this and you've been asking why, why, why and trying to blame somebody, maybe you should ask what? What will God do? And start looking for what God can do. 
and start looking for what God will do instead of getting stuck in that. I imagine the disciples, I, as I meditate on these, I, kinda, I love story and I have a funny mind. Do you have a funny mind? I have a funny mind. It goes to funny places too often. But I imagine the disciples, you know, they're like just kind of walking by. It says they were just passing by. It's not like they were going to meet this blind man. They were walking by and seeing this blind man. I just imagine them kind of talking amongst themselves like, oh, poor guy. Look at that guy blind from birth. Oh, just a beggar. Pity. Such a pity. Tragedy, right? I wonder if it's, you know, because of what they understood at that moment. I wonder if it's his sin or I wonder what his parents did. You know, they're just kind of talking about this. And so they, they're maybe, maybe they're talking about it amongst themselves. And then they say, hey, Jesus, what about this? And Jesus is just saying, hey, it's not what you think. But get ready, because the works of God are about to go on display in his life. In other words, we're about to get to work on what my father sent me here to do. And I imagine Jesus like rolling up his sleeves, <laughs> you know, like, come on, we're about to do this thing. Verse 6, it says, the rolling up his sleeves was just my idea. That's not in the Bible. I don't even know. He might have had short sleeves on. I'm not sure. Verse 6, it says, Jesus spit in the dust, and he made a clay paste with saliva, rubbed the paste on the blind man's eyes, and said, go wash at the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. It says, the man went and washed and saw. Verse 8, soon the town was buzzing. Can you say buzzing? Buzzing. His relatives and those who year after year had seen him as a blind man begging were saying, why, isn't this the man we knew who sat here and begged? Others said, it's him, all right. But others objected, it's not the same man at all. It just looks like him. And then this guy pops up, it's me, it's me, right? It's me, the very one. They said, how did your eyes get opened? He's like, a man named Jesus made a paste, rubbed it on my eyes and told me, go to Siloam and wash. And I did what he said. And when I washed, I saw. So where is he? I don't know. They marched the man to the Pharisees, it says, in this day when Jesus made the paste and healed his blindness was the Sabbath. Ooh. <laughs> you all know. The Pharisees, it says, grilled him again on how he'd come to see. He said, he put a clay paste on my eyes and I washed. And now I see. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm like, as I'm reading this story at this point, I'm like, why in the world are people not celebrating? Like, why are they not jumping up and down? This guy that we saw all this time, he was blind. We all saw it, and now he sees. What a miracle. Let's praise the Lord. Let's all praise the Lord. You know, and they just, but it doesn't happen. Blind from birth, and now he sees. It's wild. The light of the world, Jesus, breaks into darkness. The light dispels the darkness in his eyes and now he sees and the people around him can hardly recognize him. They're even questioning because it's such a wild thing that it was really even him. Now think about this. What a picture 
of what happens when the transforming good news of Jesus Christ opens blind eyes. We don't look the same anymore. We don't talk the same anymore. We don't live the same anymore. People ask, hey, is that the same person? When you came to Jesus Christ, did people say, is that the same person? What happened to you? Hopefully. You know, like, hey, he doesn't cuss anymore. He doesn't like cheat anymore. He doesn't like live in immorality. And he doesn't like gossip and, and talk bad about people anymore. What happened to him? Is he the same person? People say, what happened? People should be saying, what happened to you? People should keep saying that about us too. What's happened to you? And then your response is, Jesus happened is what's happened. He's happened to me. This still is what happens for anyone and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord and turns their life to Jesus. He brings a transformation. He opens blind eyes. So instead of celebration and excitement because he sees The Pharisees grill him on how this happened and who healed him. In verse 16, it says this. Some of the Pharisees said, obviously, this man can't be from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. This healing happened on the Sabbath, which is when you weren't supposed to be working, which even as I've read some of the, the commentaries and things, you know, it's a little questionable whether you would consider that work even. But the point was they were upset because um, religious people get upset when God does a new thing. It's true. And I just say this to you that if you're, if you're stuck in the old thing, you won't be able to step into the new thing. And if all you can see is the old thing, you won't be able to see the new thing. And it's true for all of us, just like it was true for them. So the the Pharisees' insistence on staying within their own self-imposed interpretation of the law shows how out of touch they actually were with the heart of God and his mission in Jesus. Because God is doing a new thing through Jesus, and they can't see it. And that new thing is bringing healing and hope, whether it's on the Sabbath or not. God will never violate his word, right? We know that, but he absolutely will violate your interpretation of his word. I want to say that again to all of us, because we all need to be open and ready for this. God will never violate his word in what scripture says, but he absolutely will violate what you think about his word. Has he ever violated you? That sounded bad. Has he ever violated your interpretation of the scripture? I hope he has. He's violated things that I thought 10 years ago. It's called revelation. When revelation of what he said comes, it violates what we thought before. And we have to be careful, like Pastor Gary was talking about, we have to be careful not to fight the new thing that God is doing because we're so stuck in what we knew to be before. Thanks, Jack. (laughs) I read this quote somewhere recently. It's this amazing quote a a few months ago, and it's just stuck with me. I've been sharing it with the staff, and it's this. It says, the blind of the future are not those who cannot read or write. The blind of the future are those who are unable to learn, relearn, 
sorry, learn, unlearn, and relearn. Think about it. Those that are steeped here in this religious culture and their self-imposed interpretation of scripture and law would have much to unlearn and relearn. And it's still the same for us today. How many want to keep growing and learning? I do too. I do too. So we keep going on in the story. Verse 16. So some of the Pharisees said, obviously this man can't be from God. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. And others countered. How can a bad man do miraculous? God revealing things like this. So there was a split in their ranks. They came back at the blind man. You're the expert. He opened your eyes. What do you say about him? He said, he's a prophet. Because he didn't understand who Jesus was. He just understood the moment where he was. He's a prophet. The Jews didn't believe it. They actually didn't believe the man was blind to begin with. So they called the parents of the man, now bright-eyed with sight, and they asked, is this your son, the one you say was born blind? So how is it that he now sees? Verse 20, his parents said, we know he's our son, and we know he was born blind, but we don't know how he came to see. We haven't had a clue about who opened his eyes. Why don't you ask him? He's a grown man and can speak for himself. His parents were talking like this because they were intimidated by the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who took a stand that this was the Messiah would be kicked out of the meeting place. That's why his parents said, ask him. He's a grown man. Nice parents. I'd trade him in. And now what we're seeing here is fear. Now what we're seeing here is religious control. Now what we're seeing is fear operating in two people. Fear is operating in the religious leaders and fear is operating in the parents. So the Pharisees and the religious leaders are afraid of what Jesus is doing. They're afraid of the unknown and they're afraid of their entire religious system being turned upside down which is exactly what Jesus came to do. And the parents now are afraid as well because they're, 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 they're afraid because if you were caught saying that Jesus is the Messiah, you'd be kicked out of the synagogue. And it would affect your entire, in that culture, it would affect your entire social and financial status. And maybe even their lives would have been at risk. See, in their culture, the synagogue was the focus of the entire community. So if you were kicked out, you might as well relocate towns. It was so central. It's not like now we're like, if you get kicked out of Hope Church, you've got like 15,000 choices. Right? It's a big deal. It's a big deal. I just want to just say this as a side note. I, I, as I was praying for you today into this passage, I felt like there, there are actually probably a lot of you in this room today that are, that are stepping into a new thing in God. And I want to tell you, it's going to upset people around you. Some of you are making decisions to leave old places that you've been in and step into new places that he's leading you. And it's going to upset some people around you. And I want to declare over you today, do not fear. 
Do not be afraid. I believe some of you are leaving lifestyles of unrighteousness to follow Jesus, and it's going to upset some people around you. I also believe today that there are those of you um, that are moving on and leaving religious mindsets, and it's going to upset people around you. And I want to declare over you, do not be afraid because it's actually not safe to stay where you've been, that God is doing a new thing in you because where you're going is where he's going. I've said this before, that when God does a new thing, it often upsets the old thing, and we're seeing that here. I want to tell you, don't be distracted and don't be confused by opposition. Opposition is usually the sign that something good is happening. I think it's easy for us to buy the lie that when opposition comes, oh, I must, I need to stop something. I believe most times in the kingdom, there is opposition when ground is being taken. And sometimes it's really rough and sometimes it's really hard, but you have to keep going. I hope that encourages you. Verse 24, it says, they called the man back a second time. I just can't get enough of this. The man who'd been, had been blind and they told him, give credit to God. In other words, don't give credit to Jesus, give credit to God. We know this man is an imposter. And he replied, I know nothing about that one way or the other, but I know one thing for sure. I was blind and now I see. (laughs) And they said, what did he do to you? That's how I hear it at least. Some of this is a little bit of my own tone interpretation. I'm sorry. Can I have that license? Well, I'm, I'm, I just, I gave it to myself, the license, I guess. Yeah, you might be, yeah, oh, wait, wait a minute, I got too excited there. What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He says, I've told you over and over that you haven't listened. Why do you want to hear it again? Are you so eager to become his disciples? <laughs> I have found that humor is really good to, to take down the religious spirit, actually. It also can get you thrown out of places, too, but... It says, with that, they jumped all over him. You might be a disciple of that man, but we're disciples of Moses. We know for sure that God spoke to Moses, but we have no idea where this man even comes from. The man replies, this is amazing. (laughs) You claim to know nothing about him, but the fact is he opened my eyes. (laughs) It's well known that God isn't at the beck and call of sinners, but listens carefully to anyone who lives in reverence and does his will. See, he's getting a revelation that someone opened my eyes of a, someone opened the eyes of a man born blind has never been heard of ever. If this man didn't come from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. <laughs> so this guy has a revelation. He has a revelation. It's like this former blind man is saying, I don't know about all your squirreliness over there. I don't know about all of that. I don't know what he did to me. I don't know how he did it. But what I do know is that for my entire life, I couldn't see, but now I see. I imagine this guy to be like, I didn't know what what the sky looked like. I didn't know what trees looked like. I didn't know what my mom looked like. I didn't know what my wife looked like. Now I wonder if I should marry her. (laughs) I I don't know if he was married or not. That was terrible. I'm so sorry. It was really offensive. 
But you imagine him like, seriously, like his eyes are open. He never saw. He's like, that's what people look like. I've, I've been feeling faces. That's what a nose looks like. That's what an arm looks like. That's what hair looks like. You know what I mean? Like, that's what the color blue looks like. All of a sudden, he can see. And he's like, I don't know about all your squirrely questions over there. What I know is I can see. And all of a sudden, this man has a testimony, and he doesn't even fully understand everything. He doesn't even really fully get it, but he knows that he has a story, and nobody can take that story away. Church, I think this is, this is the heart of what I feel like God's given me for today. I think sometimes we make the idea of sharing our faith so complicated and scary What if sharing your faith, what if being a witness witness simply is this? It's simply sharing your story of how you were blind, but now you see. What if, what if this is simply that like you, you, you don't have all the answers. I think sometimes people get worried like, I don't have all the answers. I don't know how to combat that question or that question. What if you don't have to worry about that? What if you don't have to know everything about everything? What if you don't have to understand theology perfectly? What if you can just say, I know the one who is perfect theology. I was blind and now I see. He took me from darkness and he brought me into light. How can you argue with the story of a life transformed by the goodness and the power of Jesus Christ? I want to tell you today, there is power in your story. It's not going to be by your wise and your persuasive words. It's going to be through the demonstration of the spirit of God upon your life. And then we get to say like this man, I know God is real. I know Jesus is real. Because if he wasn't, he wouldn't have been able to do what he did in my life. How many have a story today? Seriously, how many have a story today? If you believe in Jesus, you've got a story. I was thinking about this every Wednesday night this month. We've had testimonies of how God has transformed lives, taken, taken people from death to life. It's been so powerful. And I was just thinking this last Wednesday, Jim and Lorna Batten shared their story up here on this stage of how God transformed and healed their marriage from a very, very painful, tender, broken place. And I got to tell you, through their story, through their testimony, through their vulnerability up on this stage, countless people left shame. Countless people Wednesday night left the guilt of the past. Countless people actually left secret sin and came and confessed things that they would have never confessed before just by them being vulnerable and sharing their story. How many know that when you're vulnerable, courage is released in others? When you're vulnerable about what God has done in your life, it releases courage in other people. What if this is really that simple? What if sharing your testimony, what if sharing your story is exactly what the people around you are actually waiting for? What if they're, what if they're not actually looking for you to preach? What if they're actually not looking for you to argue with them about politics or religion? What if you actually don't have to prove anything to them? What if the open door is simply you saying, I was blind, 
But now I see, and I want to tell you about that story. What if those who don't know Jesus that are around you just need to know how you were blind and now you see? What if the religious people around you that are steeped in tradition just need to hear how your life has been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit? What if the people around you that don't believe that God still heals just need to hear the story of somebody that was healed? I mean, how do you argue with it? A woman on this front row two weeks ago had a tumor in her face. God healed that tumor. It was gone. You don't believe in healing? Let me tell you a story. You don't believe that the gifts of the Spirit are available for us today? Well, let me show you. Shop about it. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. <laughs> don't, don't do that. <laughs> That's a joke. Charismatic joke. <laughs> That's actually what you don't do. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> My friend Andrew is putting his head down right now. He's embarrassed of me. What if the religious people, you're not supposed to engage in their questions? What if you're not supposed to sit and argue with them about stuff? You just actually just get to share what Jesus has done. What if you get to just share what the power of the Holy Spirit has done in your life? What if they just need your story? What if they just need to have a conversation and that conversation opens up to the next thing? I even say it on a broader scope. What if, what if our city just needs your story? Like for real, what if the broken one down the street and at the, the, the coffee place just needs you to just start sharing your story of Jesus's goodness in your life? What if the people that you work with, that you disagree with about so many things, don't need you to argue with them? They just need you to share the goodness and the kindness of Jesus in your life. The truth is, I think we have a responsibility to share our story. And it may or may not be received. Did you know you can share your story and it not be received and that's okay? Happened to Jesus all the time. Happened to the disciples all the time. And the story ends in a minute with this. Verse 34, it says, this is how the religious leaders responded to this guy telling him again. They said, you're nothing but dirt. How how first grader-ish. You're nothing but dirt. How dare you take that tone with us? And then they threw him out on the street. How many know the religious spirit can get really ugly? When it gets riled, it can get ugly. I love the ESV, which is the version I use mostly. It says that the religious leader said to this guy, after all of this, all of the miraculous that happened in his life, the guy, they don't even care that he's been blind his whole life and now he can see. They say, you were born in utter sin. And they missed the whole point of what God's doing because they were asking the wrong questions too. And they missed entirely the work of God that was on display right in front of them. They missed it. They missed that the goodness and the kindness of God had broken in on this man through the power of Jesus In verse 35, it says, so beautiful, Jesus heard that they'd thrown him out. I love this because this is who Jesus is. This is what he does. 
And he went and he found him. He went and he found him. The religious people threw him out of the synagogue, but Jesus heard about it and he went and he found him and he asked him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? The man said, point him out to me, sir, so that I can believe. Jesus said, you're looking at him. Don't you recognize my voice? Master, I believe, the man said, and worshiped him. Come on. Jesus then said, I came into the world to bring everything into the clear light of day, making all the distinctions clear so that those who have never seen will see, and those who have made a great pretense of seeing will be exposed as blind. Some Pharisees overheard him and said, does that mean you're calling us blind? (laughs) They're so dumb. (laughs) And Jesus says, if you were really blind, you'd be blameless. But since you claim to see everything so well, you're accountable for every fault and failure. And Jesus brings this whole story full circle. In other words, he's saying, though blindness itself is an indication of sin, claiming to be able to see when you can't certainly is. Those are some serious words. And the passage ends with this former blind man worshiping Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? This man, this progression that he was in, he didn't know Jesus. He was just blind. Jesus heals him. He still doesn't know who he is. He's like, maybe a prophet. I don't know who he is. And this progression of saying he came to belief in stages, right? He's like, he must be someone good. He must be from God. I don't know any further than that because if he wasn't from God, he wouldn't have been able to open my eyes. But then he takes it a step further after that when Jesus calls him and draws him and he says, it's you. You're the Messiah. And he worships him. The passage ends with this beautiful picture of him worshiping him. His physical and spiritual sight made whole. And the religious leaders, as mad as hornets, And blind as ever.